Due to the graphic nature of this material, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Hi, I'm Greg Polson, and this is Cults. Today we're going to be taking a deeper look at one of the most infamous cults in modern history, Om Shinrikyo. A Japanese Buddhism-inspired cult, or some may refer to it as a new religion, that formed in 1987 and was granted legal recognition by the Japanese government in 1989. They're still active to this day. I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Richardson. Hi, everyone. In part one of our two-part series on Om Shinrikyo, we will focus on the leader of Om Shinrikyo, Shoko Asahara, a man who tried to end the world. Even now, many former followers are fearful that Shoko Asahara will continue to pose a risk to humankind until the day he dies. In today's episode, we'll learn how a partially blind boy named Chizuo became one of the most dangerous men who ever lived. How did he acquire the ability and means to kill millions of people? If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Plenty of cults and religions foretell the end of days. Some, like the Manson family, attempted to speed it along. But Om Shinrikyo followers took it upon themselves to wipe humankind off the face of the earth. On March 20th, 1995, Sarah gas was released in a Tokyo subway, killing 12 people and injuring over 5,000. The group responsible was the cult Om Shinrikyo, led by a man named Shoko Asahara. At the time of the 1995 sarin gas attack, Om Shinrikyo had 5,000 followers in Japan and 40,000 followers worldwide. Shoko actively recruited scientists who could help him purify sarin nerve gas, create anthrax, mass-produce firearms, and develop nuclear weapons for the purpose of destroying the world. After the sarin gas attack in 1995, all of the senior leadership, including Shoko Asahara, were arrested. Even though Shoko has since been sentenced to death by hanging, the group continues to soldier on as an international organization under the new name, Aleph. In 2012, Aleph had 1,500 members in Japan. They have possibly maintained an even larger presence worldwide. As of 2016, Russian prosecutors of Aleph reported 30,000 followers in Russia alone. Shoko's followers in the 1980s and early 1990s believed that World War III was about to be instigated by the United States and Japan, and this supposed World War III would cause the end of the world. According to Shoko, only his followers would survive the war, and he would lead all the gods in the battle against evil. But in 1995, Shoko got tired of waiting for the apocalypse and tried to bring about the end of the world by himself. It sounds strange that anyone would join a group that wanted to end the world, but Shoko used the cult's Buddhist roots and the idea of reincarnation to justify people's deaths. So how exactly does reincarnation justify murder? 
it doesn't. But Shoko's twisted interpretation of this concept led him to believe that when he killed someone, he was giving them a chance to start a new life in more favorable conditions. It's important to note here that mainstream Buddhism does not justify murder in any way. On the contrary, Buddhism focuses on letting go of the problems of the mundane world to be at peace. The idea of destroying the world violates the central tenets of mainstream Buddhism, especially since Buddhists are opposed to violence. Looking over the religions Shoko was inspired by, namely Buddhism and Christianity, it's ridiculous to say that these religions really form the basis of the dangerous, destructive cult Om Shinrikyo. Because they didn't. Like with many cults, Shoko's cult was a reflection of its leader, not the religions he supposedly based it on. He was constantly in opposition with society. And most of all, he craved wealth, power, and adoration. It was Shoko's ambition that made the cult what it was. The man who would grow up to be Shoko Asahara, a self-proclaimed god and mystical master, was born in Kyushu, Japan in 1955 as Chizuo Matsumoto. He was one of seven children in a poor family that made tatami mats, Japanese flooring material woven out of rice straw. The family was also rumored to be part of an ethnically Korean minority in Japan. During this time period, Koreans were not allowed citizenship in Japan due to nationalistic legislation passed in 1950, just five years before Chizuo's birth. The passing of this legislation was indicative of anti-Korean sentiments that ran high throughout Chizuo's childhood and up to present day. This is probably why there's no information that says for certain whether or not Chizuo and his family were Korean. If they were, they would likely have been careful to hide their ethnicity. According to the psychiatrist Robert Lifton, famous for his studies on destructive cults, it is very possible that Chizuo's desire for money and power was a way of compensating for his insecurity over his family's societal position. As if his humble origins were not enough, Chizuo suffered from congenital glaucoma, which took away his sight in his left eye and severely obscured his vision in his right. Due to his condition, Chizuo qualified for admission into a special school for the blind. However, because he had limited sight in one eye, Chizuo found himself in an advantageous position compared to his peers. According to accounts by his former classmates and teachers, his sight made it easy for him to manipulate other kids. He charged other students money for taking them to shops and restaurants, and even insisted that they treat him to meals. Unusually large for his age, Chizuo had no problem resorting to violence against his peers if he saw fit. But size wasn't the only thing that made Chizuo an intimidating bully. From a young age, Chizuo trained in Judo, one of the few martial arts that blind fighters are able to effectively practice. Chizuo's natural strength and athleticism made him an excellent fighter and enabled him to earn a black belt before he graduated from high school. Being so powerful compared to his peers could have contributed to an inflated feeling of self-worth, which would later develop into narcissism. But when Chizuo was a child attending a school for the blind, there was no way his peers and teachers could have ever imagined that claiming money from his classmates would later evolve into a desire to claim the lives of the entire human race. If his teachers were aware of the bullying, why didn't they do anything to stop it? Well, unfortunately, according to linguistics and communication scholars, Barbara Lewandowska Tomaszczyk, Paul A. Wilson, and Stephen M. Croucher, Japanese school teachers often lacked training on how to deal with bullies in the classroom. As a result, some teachers either ignore bullies or fail to properly reprimand them. 
Apart from being a bully, Chizuo's teachers described him as an ambitious young boy. He often spoke of wanting to become the prime minister of Japan. This is not all that surprising. Oxford University professor Dr. Kevin Dutton, who studied psychopathic traits in non-criminal politicians, found that many U.S. presidents, including ones who were admired for their great service, showed psychopathic traits, much like what Chizuo exhibited. But Chizuo's political career had a rocky start. Chizuo unsuccessfully ran for class head, even though he tried to bribe his classmates with sweets. On one occasion, he accused a teacher of influencing the election by saying bad things about him. Regardless, it became clear that Chizuo was feared, not liked, by his classmates. As Chizuo became more feared as a bully at school, he began to develop a gang of followers who helped him manipulate and intimidate his victims. Although he had the capacity for great cruelty, teachers were surprised to see that he was very compassionate toward his followers. It is likely that Chizuo's compassion towards his gang was yet another weapon he utilized, in addition to his size and sight, to manipulate his followers and keep them loyal to him. It is no surprise that we would see this kind of manipulation from the child who would grow up to become Shoko Asahara, a spiritual leader who would manipulate his followers into helping him build a billion-dollar empire. By the end of high school, after years of extorting his classmates, he had already accumulated $30,000. Chizuo graduated from high school late, at the age of 20, in 1975. This was only one of the many challenges that faced him in his transition to adulthood. At the blind school, Chizuo more or less blended in because he was partially blind like everyone else. But like many disabled Japanese, he found himself with limited job prospects. Even to this day, despite efforts to pass legislation to help people with disabilities, little progress has been made. Even when disabled workers do find work, offices are often unwilling to make accommodations. Seeing disabled workers as difficult for requiring special treatment and disrupting harmony. Chizuo then entered the only two careers that were traditionally held by the blind, acupuncture and healing massage. He tried to maximize his profit margins by selling fake medicinal herbs. But even then, this line of work was not enough to satisfy his ambition for money and power. In his early 20s, Chizuo was faced with the same choice he did when he arrived in school as a child. He could accept his lot in life and be bullied by society, or he could become the bully. While Chizuo was an accomplished martial artist, fighting in the judo ring was not enough physical violence for him. Chizuo had dark, sadistic desires. He wanted to test his fighting abilities on real people, and so he did. One night, he forced two of his roommates to fight each other. When they didn't strike each other hard enough for his liking, he stepped in to demonstrate the proper way to fight. Considering the fact that Chizuo was a large and well-trained fighter, this was likely very terrifying for his roommates. His violent experimentation with martial arts continued, and in 1976, at the age of 21, he was fined $150 for assaulting someone with judo. Many cult leaders suffer from narcissism that makes it difficult for them to follow laws. They believe they are essentially better than normal people and should not be required to follow laws like others do. Cult expert Robert Lifton even asserts that Chizuo was not only narcissistic, but suffered from a case of megalomania, which is characterized by delusions of omnipotence or grandeur. Because he believed he was better than other humans and above the law, it's unsurprising that he would have a history of assault. In Chizuo's case, his megalomania probably made him feel like his need for amusement took priority over the well-being of his victims. 
In addition to running his medicinal practice, Chizuo allegedly studied for law school entrance exams to pursue his desires of becoming the Prime Minister of Japan. However, despite his best efforts, he was never able to get into law school. Interestingly enough, no records were ever found to verify that Chizuo ever took these exams. Many scholars believe that it's possible that Chizuo made up this story to make his life sound more interesting, so that he could give an impression that he triumphed over adversity. If Chizuo lied about taking the exams, as many believe, this may be a sign of two traits listed in a checklist of psychopathic traits published by Canadian psychologist Robert D. Hare. The traits include a tendency to become easily bored and an unusual degree of comfort with lying. If Chizuo had these two traits, it would have been difficult for him to take the time to focus and study for law school exams, and very easy for him to lie about it. And what if Chizuo actually took the exams? If Chizuo actually failed the exams, as he claims, this marks an important point in Chizuo's development. Politics was the only legal way in which Chizuo could turn the tables on society and become above the law. Once this was no longer a possibility, Chizuo had to find another way. Chizuo's decision to found a cult was likely a calculated choice. Having exhausted his original plan of gaining influence and power, Chizuo realized that spirituality was an alternative path to raising himself above everyone else. To better understand why Chizuo chose to pursue spirituality, it's important to understand the historical context of post-war Japan. After World War II, the Japanese suffered through difficult times. Emperor Hirohito was forced to announce to his countrymen that he was not, in fact, a god. This dealt a devastating blow to the Japanese, who then became very cynical about religion. Eventually, spirituality began to disappear from Japanese communities altogether. Suddenly in the 80s, Japan went through an economic boom. Now that most Japanese felt financially comfortable, religion began to make a comeback as people became more interested in spiritual fulfillment over day-to-day -day survival. To the Japanese, who had for decades focused on a practical lifestyle, new religions were fresh and fascinating, and young people were eager to try them out. This was convenient timing for a Chizuo. In just a few years, his path to becoming a religious guru turned him into one of the most feared men on the planet. In 1981, Chizuo joined Aganshu, a new religious movement in Japan. His mentor, Seiyo Kiriyama, became a source of inspiration for him, despite Chizuo's later claims to the contrary. Aganshu, which prophesied the end of the world and promised mystical powers to its followers, was a strong influence for Chizuo when he started his own cult. Shortly afterward, Chizuo claimed to have experienced the first step of enlightenment that he referred to as the Awakening of Kundalini. The Awakening of Kundalini is a concept in mystical yoga in which one gains access to the powerful cosmic energy that supposedly lies dormant in one's spine. After going through this cosmic experience, Chizuo left Kiriyama, believing that his training was complete. To be clear, enlightenment in Asian religions is not an easily obtained state. Enlightenment is a level of spiritual awareness that causes you to become one with the universe. According to Buddhism, enlightenment can often take multiple lifetimes to achieve because the amount of time required to become enlightened is far greater than a typical human lifespan. It's believed that even powerful deities are unable to reach enlightenment during the course of their long lifespans. 
The most the gods can hope for is to eventually be reborn as a human monk. In Buddhism, gods are actually inferior to human Buddhist monks. Only as a monk can one have a chance to reach enlightenment, and even then, only after an entire lifetime of tireless study. It was unlikely that Chizuo truly reached enlightenment as he claimed, given that Chizuo spent much of his life in pursuit of wealth and power. It's unlikely that he achieved enlightenment, considering it's a mental state in which the pleasures of the mundane world become irrelevant. Most likely, Chizuo's claim of enlightenment was yet another fabricated story to justify his narcissism and sense of superiority over others. On the other hand, some scholars believed that Chizuo's megalomania gave him a degree of self-delusion that made him believe it was natural for him to reach enlightenment faster than the average person. It's hard to say whether his claim of enlightenment was narcissistic self-delusion or a calculated choice to draw in followers. Chizuo probably also felt that he was above following the instructions of a mentor like Kiriyama. Being a follower of a religious community probably felt as unnatural to Chizuo as being a common civilian living under the laws of people more powerful than him. Don't forget, Chizuo's views were in complete opposition to many of the religions he studied, and it was highly unlikely that any of these gurus approved of what he was about to do. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now, let's continue our story. In 1982, Chizuo Matsumoto was arrested for selling fake medicinal herbs. This arrest effectively shut down his acupuncture and massage practice. With no other source of income available, there was no turning back. He had to monetize his spirituality. In the same year, Chizuo married Tomoko Matsumoto, his partner in his religious enterprises. Chizuo and his wife quickly set up their first spiritual movement, the Heavenly Blessing Association, which was unable to attract followers and soon failed. But the couple didn't give up. Tomoko later became a senior member of Om Shinrikyo alongside Chizuo. It's important to take into account some cultural context when thinking about Tomoko's involvement with Om. In Japan at the time, women were still expected to tend to the home and were not encouraged to pursue careers. For a woman to achieve a position of power in an organization would have been almost unheard of. Japanese women only had 6.6% of management jobs in 1985. In 2005, they held just over 10%. To this day, women in Japan still make 30% less than their male counterparts. And even in present-day Japan, women are frequently expected to quit the workforce after marrying and having their first child. As of 2014, four out of ten Japanese people in their 20s to 40s believed women belonged in the home. For Tomoko, partnering with Chizuo in the 1980s was probably a rare opportunity to become a woman in power. Years later, her decision to join with Chizuo would eventually make her a senior associate of a business worth over a billion dollars, overseeing the work of thousands of people. In 1984, Chizuo and Tomoko attempted to start a new business venture and established a yoga studio, where Chizuo began to teach spiritual principles of his own that eventually evolved into a cult called the Om Divine Wizard Association. Not satisfied with his birth name, Chizuo gave himself a name that he felt was more appropriate to who he really was, Shoko Asahara, meaning bright light. He also grew a long beard and dressed in flowing robes to reinforce his image as a spiritual master. 
Shoko's cult differed from other forms of New Age Buddhism by introducing elements from different texts. He infused an anti-establishment side to his religion by borrowing from Maoist texts. From Nostradamus and the Book of Revelation, he added a doomsday element. Diversifying his sources was probably a way to attract followers from abroad as well. It was far easier to sell someone on a new religion if it was rooted in a Western religion that they were familiar with. But creating an appealing product wasn't enough to sell this new religion. Shoko also created aggressive marketing campaigns. In 1985, he published photographs of himself levitating at a lotus position while in meditation to imply that he had supernatural abilities. While the images were instrumental in making him visible to the public, the way these images were created were considerably less mystical. Shoko simply sat in a lotus position, leaped off the ground repeatedly, and photographed himself doing so. With a combination of athleticism, trick photography, and a new name, Shoko successfully made many people believe that he was a guru capable of supernatural feats. In 1985, Shoko claimed to have experienced another vision while wandering near the coast of Japan. According to Shoko, a deity appeared before him and anointed him as Abiriketsu no Mikoto, the god of light who leads the armies of gods. The phrasing is very important here because it was essential for Shoko that, within his cult, nobody could question his authority. Even if a follower claimed to have a divine vision themselves, their spiritual experience couldn't delegitimize his, as he was not only a god, but a god who oversaw other gods. In 1986, Shoko claimed that he underwent yet another religious experience that he called a final enlightenment, which he achieved while meditating in the Himalayas. Amusingly enough, a New Delhi holy man who mentored Shoko while he was in the Himalayas later told reporters, that Shoko had only meditated for four days before claiming to be fully enlightened. Despite the holy man's efforts to explain to Shoko that enlightenment took a lifetime to achieve and not four days, Shoko was not interested in his advice. Of course, Shoko conveniently left out this part of the story when he reported back to his followers. Shoko's decision to declare himself an enlightened being was not a random decision. One of the most distinctive aspects of Buddhism is that it's one of the few religions in which gods are not ranked above humans in importance. As I mentioned earlier, in Buddhism, enlightened human beings outrank gods, who are seen as entities who thrive in the mundane world and therefore are the most limited by its rules. So by declaring himself to be an enlightened being, Shoko didn't just establish himself as a wise sage, he essentially established himself as a being superior to a god. But it wasn't enough for Shoko to simply be seen as an enlightened human being. Enlightened human beings in mainstream Buddhism don't use their abilities to rule over other humans. So Shoko embellished his version of enlightenment and made claims of having impressive magical abilities to set himself apart. Claiming to have magical powers was also a calculated decision. Anime and manga had become wildly popular in Japan by the 1980s. Manga is a Japanese comic book style based on 18th century Japanese art. Anime refers to animated films that are drawn in the manga style. In many anime and manga storylines, protagonists are young people who don't fit into society but realize their greater destiny when they develop supernatural powers to defeat evil. It's easy to see the similarities between a typical anime plot and Shoko's religion. 
When Shoko promised young people magical powers, they saw this as an opportunity to develop abilities just like their favorite characters in anime. In addition to levitation, Shoko promised many other abilities to his followers as well, including being able to emit healing energy from their hands and being able to hold their breath underwater for over 15 minutes. Despite the success of his trick photography, the Om Divine Wizard Association was not able to attract enough followers. So in 1987, Shoko founded Om Shinrikyo, which translates to Om Supreme Truth. The Om refers to the sacred sound that was often chanted by Buddhist monks during meditation. Fans of anime and manga weren't the only people who joined Shoko's new cult. Some people believed that the world would end in 2000 and Om Shinrikyo seemed like a legitimate solution for surviving the possible apocalypse. Shoko also gave his cult legitimacy by getting photographed with various spiritual figures around the world, the most prominent being the Dalai Lama. Shoko even claimed to followers that the Dalai Lama himself asked Shoko to propagate real Buddhism in Japan. After using innovative marketing to draw followers in, Shoko's mind control techniques made sure his followers stayed in the cult. Senior cult members guided lower-level followers through ascetic worship practices in which cult members were deprived of food and water and even subjected to physical violence to induce a more suggestible mental state. The mental state is often described by former followers as being a lightheadedness accompanied by the appearance of colored lights and impressive images of Shoko himself. LSD and other drugs were often taken by the followers to enhance these effects. But regardless of the process, the mystical-seeming experiences felt by the followers in their delirium would always be attributed to Shoko and cement his legitimacy as a person of great power. According to Dr. Robert Lifton, what Shoko achieved was a cult mind control technique called mystical manipulation, in which the followers go through experiences that appear to be spontaneous and magical, but in fact are meticulously crafted by the cult's leader. These seemingly mystical experiences demonstrated Shoko's divine authority. They also gave him the appearance of a special supernatural gift or talent that continued to legitimize his position as a leader. Shoko claimed to his followers that the worship practices were for the purpose of cleansing their karma. To be clear, in traditional Buddhism, karma is a spiritual substance that accumulates on your soul throughout multiple lifetimes as you cycle through the process of death and rebirth. Karma is seen as an impurity that needs to be cleansed before enlightenment is possible. Shoko claimed that his ascetic worship practices could cleanse his followers of their karma. He taught them that if they were able to cleanse large numbers of people, then the positive energy projected by these people would prevent the apocalypse. As strange as these worship practices seemed, they did have one positive effect. Shoko often joined his followers in practicing these ascetic exercises, and they helped him repress his darker side. The ascetic practices humbled him and made him less likely to be violent. In February of 1988, Shoko even published his own manga, called Metsu Bonohi, about the end of the world where only Om Shinrikyo followers survive. This effectively drew in anime and manga lovers all over Japan, and was Shoko's most successful marketing effort. With the success of Metsubo no Hi, Om Shinrikyo's membership skyrocketed that very year. 
This fed Shoko's ego, and Shoko began to consider himself above the rules of his own cult and stopped participating in his own ascetic worship practices. Then something terrifying happened. Shoko's self-delusion took over, and he began to convince himself that his religion was real. What if it was not a farce at all? What if he was truly divine? Our story will continue in a moment, right after the break. Now the story continues. In 1988, a few months after the publication of Metsu Bonohi, Shoko Asahara's belief in his own godhood was suddenly thrown into doubt when his extreme rituals resulted in the cult's first death. A 21-year-old disciple, Majima Teruyuki, died of a heart attack after Shoko forced him to undergo freezing water ascetic practices during worship. The death of Shoko's follower hit Shoko hard. His concern over Majima's death and his own divine legitimacy was one of the last moments where he showed his humanity. Was it all for show, or was this truly a glimmer of Shoko's humanity? Majima's death marked a turning point in Shoko Asahara's evolution, a wake-up call even. Before Majima died, Shoko was convinced of his divinity, but now he was filled with self-doubt. Gods were infallible and didn't make mistakes that caused their followers' deaths. Yet this man's death was proof that there were things he was powerless to control. Could he have been wrong the whole time? How could he be a force for salvation if he unintentionally caused a death? But Shoko's dark ambitions got the better of him. I mentioned previously that before the establishment of Om Shinrikyo, Shoko had claimed to have been anointed as the god of light who would lead all the gods into battle. Shoko never mentioned which god it was that anointed him, but now he revised his story to claim that that god was Shiva, the god of destruction and rebirth, who appears in Hindu, Buddhist, and Sikh religious texts. Shiva was a convenient choice due to his association with destruction. The decision to make a god of destruction central to his religion was an important one because Shoko could then manipulate his followers' understanding of this deity to justify anyone's death, including Majima's. To further justify Majima's death, Shoko used the concept of poa. Poa refers to any ritual that redirects a spirit away from the normal cycle of death and reincarnation and towards a more favorable destination. An example of this is in Chinese culture when loved ones chant Amitofo to guide the spirit of a deceased family member towards a blissful afterlife instead of the typical path of rebirth. Shoko, however, reinterpreted the concept of poa to include killing someone in order to force them to be reborn in a better life than the one they are living. He used his interpretation of poa to dismiss and excuse Majima's death. He proclaimed that any deaths caused by Om Shinrikyo were a cleansing process that would send the deceased into a more favorable rebirth. And just like that, Shoko got away with Majima's death. This opened the door to more deaths to come. Now anyone could be killed at the whim of Shoko. The day Majima died, worshipping in freezing water in 1988, Shoko's humanity died with that man, and what was left was something truly dark and terrifying. Shoko changed the guiding principles behind Om Shinrikyo. Before 1988, the supposed goal was to cleanse large numbers of followers, enabling their positive energy to prevent the apocalypse. After 1988, the goal was to cause the apocalypse. Shoko claimed that killing large numbers of people would purify them through POA. According to Lifton, this is an aspect of dispensing of existence. 
Since cults like Om Shinrikyo consider the outside world to be unenlightened, anyone who chooses to leave the cult no longer has the right to life, and neither do their families who also live outside of the cult. In general, followers describe Shoko as being even more prone to violence after the death of his young disciple Majima in 1988. But the death of the young man was only the first of many. The intensity of Shoko's worship services began to increase, incorporating outright torture into the sessions. Often followers were fully submerged in boiling water. As the violence escalated through the end of the 1980s, more followers began to have doubts about Shoko. Shoko then used worship services as a punishment for doubters. However, Shoko's normal worship practices were so similar to his punishments that the line between punishment and worship began to blur. Now all followers who were not senior members were treated like potential traitors. The intensity of the punishments were so intense that followers died during worship with increasing regularity. Naturally, as the violence worsened, more followers attempted to leave. This only incensed Shoko, who began to torture and kill anyone who challenged his authority. In 1989, Om Shinrikyo was recognized formally as a religion in Japan and was rewarded with tax benefits. The tax-exempt status protected Shoko from investigations by law enforcement due to laws originally put in place by the United States after World War II. The U.S. wanted to undermine the Japanese emperor's influence by passing laws that favored other religions, and Shoko took full advantage of this legislation. Shoko began to exempt himself and even more rules of his own religion. He started to claim that he was a source of powerful energy that followers could draw from. Despite the fact that Shoko preached abstinence from sex, he exempted himself from the requirement of abstinence and frequently engaged in tantric sex sessions in which he supposedly transferred his energy into female followers' bodies. But this was likely just an excuse to sexually exploit his female followers, since according to Om Shinrikyo, this wasn't the only way in which energy could be transferred. Shoko himself claimed on national television in 1987 that he could transfer energy simply by touch. As a money-making scheme, Shoko insisted that followers needed to drink his magical blood to get his energy. And not surprisingly, followers had to purchase containers of his blood at high prices. Shoko even sold his bathwater for thousands of dollars. By 1990, recruits were expected to pay $10,000 a month to be fitted with electronic helmets that were supposed to align their brain waves with Shoko's. According to Shoko, the helmets could receive frequencies transmitted from Shoko's brain waves. In addition to renting the helmets, Shoko told the members that they needed to devote their energies to preparing for the apocalypse and encouraged them to donate all their money to him. By the 1990s, Shoko was a very wealthy man. Om Shinrikyo was a multi-million dollar corporation. Emboldened by his self-proclaimed godhood, wealth, and his cult's official status as a tax-exempt religion, Shoko's confidence was at an all-time high. So he decided to pursue his childhood dream of becoming a government official. In 1990, Shoko ran for parliament, but his campaigning techniques were laughable at best. His campaign consisted of eccentric, white-robed followers chanting Shoko Shoko Asahara. He also recruited a handsome young man named Fumihiro Joyu, who was considered a heartthrob by female television viewers. Joyu told stories about how Shoko had given him the spiritual strength to stop masturbating. 
Shoko was confident that Japan and the whole world would recognize him as a god on earth and was deeply disappointed when the rest of Japan didn't share in his delusion. Because Shoko only took campaign advice from his own followers, it caught him by complete surprise when he lost the election in a landslide. Shoko's childhood dreams had been dashed. In his view, humankind had betrayed him once again. His life was a long list of disappointments in which the world had let him down. First, by rejecting him for his background, second, by alienating him for his disability, and third, by rejecting him from law school. And now, the Japanese people had spoken in a clear voice. They did not accept him. After the 1990 elections, Shoko became a vengeful god and took thousands of his followers to an Okinawan island where many believe he attempted to direct his followers in a mass suicide. Although his followers were likely the only ones to vote for him, Shoko didn't care. The value of human life meant nothing to him now. But put under pressure by the media who anticipated his intentions, the vengeful god called off his retreat. In 1992, Shoko published a manifesto titled Declaring Myself the Christ, where he claimed to be the Lamb of God sent to purify the world of sin and quoted Matthew 24, 9, quote, Then shall they deliver you to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, end quote. In the same year, Shoko declared war on Japan, the United States, the Freemasons, the British royal family, rival Japanese religions, and Judaism, claiming they were the dark forces that he was anointed to defeat. According to Shoko, the U.S. was spreading rampant materialism, which was negatively influencing the culture of Japan. In 1994, when law enforcement began to suspect his development of biochemical weapons, Shoko denied the claims, insisting that American and Japanese military aircraft had flown over his facilities and sprayed biochemical weapons on his compound. Shoko's followers believed that he was the target of the poison gas, not the producer. They conveniently forgot these lies just a few months later, when he directed them to use the gas he had in fact produced to kill his enemies. The doomsday element of Shoko's cult also became more significant after his failed 1990 election campaign. In the 1980s, Shoko simply wanted to prepare his people for the impending apocalypse. Now, enraged at his political defeat, he wanted to retaliate by destroying the world by his own divine hand. Shoko recruited scientists into his cult, convinced that the scientists could help him manufacture firearms, develop nuclear weapons, create sarin gas, produce anthrax, and even design a weaponized laser beam which he referred to as a death ray. Luckily for the rest of the world, Shoko's team was only able to manufacture one firearm and impure forms of sarin gas. It is believed that had Shoko been able to produce a purer form of sarin gas, the infamous subway attack of 1995 would have claimed thousands more victims. In 1995, the year of Shoko's terrorist attack, the cult reached its height with 45,000 members worldwide. Worth over $1 billion, they expanded to Russia and Europe and became more and more dangerous as time went on. Members received training from Russian special forces, and the cult even purchased a military attack helicopter. Their compounds contained large microwaves, inspired by Nazi concentration camps, where bodies of anyone who challenged them, like family members of cult followers, reporters, and lawyers, 
could be quickly incinerated and the ashes could be discarded to hide the evidence. Shoko had come a long way from his childhood of misusing his judo and bullying his blind classmates. Shoko's cult now boasted a sophisticated military weapons development team and tactical teams trained by Russian special forces units. The world lay at the feet of the one-eyed god. Next week, we'll learn about the people who joined the ranks of Om Shinrikyo and find out how Shoko drew them in and how they helped make Om Shinrikyo one of the most feared cults in the world. We will also learn about the brave people who stood up to Om Shinrikyo and lived to tell the tale, as well as those who didn't survive their encounters with Shoko's cult. How did the one-eyed god wage war against the entire world? And how was he defeated? Join us next week to find out. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. Join us next Tuesday as we continue delving into the twisted psychology of Aum Shinrikyo. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Joel Stein and Carrie Murphy. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Jeanette Manning. Cults is written by Joseph Uren and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 